following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw or our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. We're carrying on today the series on the miracles of Jesus. Uh, last week we started the series and we looked at the miracle of Jesus turning water into wine in John chapter 2. And today we're looking at this fascinating story in Matthew 15 of uh, Jesus healing the Canaanite woman's daughter. And it's a very different miracle to the one that we looked at last week. Uh, that, that miracle of Jesus turning the water into wine, if you remember, that was a very Jewish context. It was a Jewish wedding. It was a Jewish community that Jesus was in there. Uh, the story we're looking at today happens in a very non-Jewish kind of context. Jesus has gone way up into the northern uh, part of, of Israel, uh, in fact, even beyond what was the Jewish homeland at the time. He goes into this region called Tyre and Sidon, and these are places that today are part of the nation of Lebanon, not, not even part of Israel. So it's really the northernmost point that Jesus reached during his ministry, and this is right outside of the Jewish community, it's beyond where there were Jewish settlements. And so Jesus is moving into these areas which are full of Gentiles, that's non-Jewish people, all sorts of different ethnicities, uh, all sorts of different cultures, and they would have worshipped all sorts of different gods. These were thoroughly pagan people. They didn't know Israel's God. Uh, they didn't worship Israel's God. They didn't know Israel's law. And so it's a very foreign sort of context where this, this story takes place. And so Jesus is there in this, in this region of Tyre and Sidon, and a woman comes to him, begging him to heal her daughter, who's possessed by an evil spirit. And this woman, Matthew describes the woman as a Canaanite. And that's an interesting term, because the word Canaanite wasn't really being used. At the time, in the first century, Canaanite, it wasn't a valid geographic description. It wasn't a relevant ethnic distinction. It just wasn't a word that was, was commonly used. If Matthew had wanted to use the accurate geographic term for this woman, he would have called her a Syrophoenician woman. That's exactly the term that Mark uses to describe her. But he uses, Matthew uses this term Canaanite woman. And he does this intentionally. And what Matthew's doing is, He's drawing back on the Old Testament story because in the Old Testament, the Canaanites were the people, or really a multitude of peoples, that the Israelites drove out in, in the Promised Land, or at least tried to drive out from the Promised Land. And the Canaanites were the enemies of Israel. They were, they were the rivals, the people that Israel was commanded to vanquish. And so by labeling this woman a Canaanite, Immediately, Matthew is creating the sense that she's an outsider. She doesn't belong. She doesn't really even have a right to be in the land. These Canaanites, they should have been driven out a long time ago. She's an outcast. She's a foreigner. It's a very negative depiction of this woman uh, right from the beginning of Matthew's description of her as a Canaanite. But this woman comes to Jesus and she is desperate. She's desperate on behalf of her daughter. And, and she says to Jesus, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. Uh, it's interesting, isn't it, that she uses a title like Son of David 
to refer to Jesus, given that she's not a Jewish person and wouldn't have known much of Jewish culture at all. That's a very Jewish title to use for Jesus. So she obviously knew something. She'd picked up something about who the Messiah was and about who Jesus was. And she uses this uh, to try and convince Jesus to heal her daughter. And at first, what we read in the text is that Jesus did not say a word. Initially, Jesus didn't answer her at all, which is interesting. We don't quite know why that is. But Jesus' disciples then come to him and they basically tell him to send this woman away. They say she's making such a racket. She's causing a scene. She's being a disturbance. Jesus, just get rid of her. Send her away. And Jesus responds to his disciples uh, with these words. In Matthew 15, verse 24, he says, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Now that sounds pretty exclusive, doesn't it? It sounds like a very narrow sort of thing to say. Uh, But Jesus, I think throughout this passage, he knows more than he's letting on. And I think he's being very intentional with with the words that he uses, and and he knows what he's doing. So initially, what, what he's really giving his disciples here is a very typically Jewish statement about the Messiah to start with. And this would have reflected the Old Testament scriptures and the expectations they had of the Messiah. The Messiah was sent to the nation of Israel. In the way the Old Testament describes things, the Messiah would be the one who was, who was coming to rescue and redeem the nation of Israel. He was Israel's Messiah. And so Jesus is just simply stating that as a matter of fact, that he is sent to first and foremost to the nation of Israel. And that, that would have been acceptable to the disciples. They wouldn't have had any issue with that. So far, so good. Except, of course, this woman is not giving up. She's not happy with that response. She comes back to Jesus and she keeps on begging him to to save her daughter. And the next statement she says to him is she says, Lord, help me. She recognizes Jesus as as Lord. She's describing him like like a Lord, a master. And she, she is desperate for him to help. And then Jesus makes this statement to the woman in verse 26. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Now that is a tough statement. This is a difficult verse because it it really sounds very derogatory, doesn't it? I mean, this sounds like an insult. This sounds like Jesus is is completely insulting this woman. It sounds like he's describing her as a dog, describing her people as dogs. So what's going on here? Well, what Jesus is, is referencing here is that there was a, a typical Jewish slur that was used by some people to refer to Gentiles, non-Jews. Some Jewish people would refer to Gentiles as, as dogs. It was, a, it was a put down, it was a slur that was floating around at the time. And when people used that term dogs to refer to, to Gentiles, they would use a particular word. It was the Greek word kayun. And it meant not just dog, but a specific kind of dog. It was a street dog. It was one of those kind of savage, wild, untamed dogs that, that roamed around the streets. An undomesticated dog. That was Kayun. And that's the kind of, of dog, that's the, ki- that's the word that people would use if they were just going to put others down. And so the Jewish people had that sense that they they were God's children and that these Gentiles, they were just the dog. They were the savage dogs kind of outside roaming the streets. It was sort of just a typical way that Jewish people would would see the world. That's just just the cultural reality in the first century. 
Now, Jesus is referencing that slur, but at the same time, he is doing something quite unique here. The word that Jesus uses for dogs in this verse is not that word. It's not the same word. It's a derivative of that word, but instead of using the word kayun, Jesus uses the word kayurion. And that word doesn't mean savage dog. It doesn't mean wild dog. It doesn't mean undomesticated dog. That word means a house pet. It means like a, a little dog is the idea here. Uh, the, the kind of dog that you would allow to come into the house. So, uh, you know, it's like our, our neighbours have, have got a dog. Their dog is a cavoodle, uh, a little cute little thing named Morty. And she's allowed into the house and she is a pet of the family. She's like part of the family. She's like part of the furniture, plays with the kids and welcomed inside the house, not this kind of outside savage dog at all. And so this is the kind of word that Jesus is using, the kind of concept that Jesus is describing when he talks about these Gentiles as dogs. In one sense, he is referencing off that typical Jewish insult. But in another sense, he's turning it completely on his head. And he's saying, these Gentiles, like, like this woman, they are not outsiders. They are not these kind of untamed, wild animals out there somewhere. They are actually being welcomed in. They are actually these, these ones that God has a special place for. And he welcomes them, them into his family. And he allows them to come inside. And he allows them to gather around the table. So in the single word that Jesus uses, a really careful word choice, he is dropping some pretty big hints that actually these, these Gentiles, they are being welcomed in now. And God has a place for them. And so then, having said this to, to the woman, the woman responds back to Jesus. And she responds in, in a really fascinating way. Uh, in verse 27, she says, Yes, it is, Lord. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Now, the word for dogs that the woman uses here is the same word that Jesus has used. So she picks up on that word Jesus has used for little dogs, and she uses that word back to him. I think she knows what Jesus is getting at here. It's like a little word play that's going on in this passage. So, so this woman is basically saying, well, Jesus... If, if, if you want to see us, us Gentiles as, as dogs, then, then yes, we are like these little house pets. We are these, these, these house pets that are welcomed in. And, and what we want and what I want is to be able to come inside the master's home. And we want to be able to come around the table. And we want to eat some of the food from the table. Or at least we want some of the crumbs that fall from the master's table. She's saying, that's all I'm seeking, Jesus. There's just a few crumbs that fall from the table, some crumbs for my daughter um, so that she might be, might be healed. So I think this woman is picking up on what Jesus is saying here and almost taking up the invitation that he's, that he's offering her. And then you have the great resolution to the story that comes in verse 28. Then Jesus said to her, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed at that moment. An amazing moment for that woman. I mean, you imagine after, after this woman's persistence of asking and begging and the, and the back and forth dialogue, and she wouldn't have been sure where this was going, and then Jesus grants this healing. Amazing. And at that very moment, her daughter was, was healed. 
a very, very special moment for that woman. And of course, this would have been a really interesting moment for the disciples too. If you can imagine the disciples sitting there, they must have been scratching their heads at this point. I mean, they must have been wondering, what on earth is Jesus doing here? You know, it's, it seemed like at the beginning of this conversation, he wasn't going to heal the daughter. And now it's like he's come right around and he's, he's decided he is going to heal the daughter. So what's happened here? Has he, has he changed his mind? Has he flip-flopped on this issue? What, what's happened? And I think what Jesus is doing is he's really messing with their categories of insiders and outsiders. I think Jesus is just playing with those, with those categories the disciples would have thought they knew exactly who the insiders were and who the outsiders were. The insiders were the Jews and the outsiders were everybody else. And Jesus is basically saying, not so fast. Don't think that you've just got it all figured out. God's actually disrupting those categories. And some of the insiders and the outsiders may be crossing over those categories. I mean, when, when Jesus says to this woman, you have great faith. You know, there's only two people in the Gospels, who Jesus describes as having great faith. This woman is one of them, and the other one is a Roman centurion, also a Gentile, also not a Jew. In fact, someone who, who would have been also seen as an enemy, an outcast. He worked for the Roman Empire, for heaven's sake. And yet those are the two people that Jesus says, you have great faith. And the expression of faith that this woman has towards Jesus is quite remarkable. I mean, you think about what she is confessing. She's, she confesses Jesus to be Lord. She confesses him to be the son of David. I mean, this is a full confession of faith. It is really remarkable faith. So you've got these people who were just rank outsiders, who Jews would have seen as being cut off and alienated from God. And yet Jesus is saying they're being welcomed in. God's got a seat at the table for these people. God's not cutting them off at all. They, In fact, they have greater faith than many of the Israelites. And conversely, in the broader context of this chapter, you also see that there were some insiders, some Jewish people, particularly the Pharisees, who would have considered themselves, of course, insiders in God's eyes. And you, and you get the impression through what Jesus says to them, actually, they may not be insiders at all. That They, they, they don't have the same kind of faith. They, he calls them blind guides. These Pharisees are finding themselves on the outside of God's plans and purposes and kingdom. So these categories of insiders and outsiders are shifting in a fascinating sort of way. Jesus is just playing with these categories. I think he's quite enjoying doing it, actually, and just watching how the disciples react to all this. And it's, it's so relevant to us today, isn't it? When you think about these rigid categories that we have, insiders and outsiders, I think we're just the same. Typically, you and I, aren't we? I mean, we, we tend to think that we've got it figured out too. That we've got our definition of who the insiders are. And of course, we put ourselves in that category. Uh, and of course, yes, if, if you are a follower of Jesus, you've received his grace. Yes, you are an insider in the sense that we've been forgiven by God. But we can become a bit self-righteous about that. We can become a bit presumptuous about that. And of course, we feel we're very clear on who the outsiders are. Uh, those people who don't know God. And, and we can just write them off. And we can dismiss people and we can prejudge them. Uh, people that just live messy lives, maybe just, you know, they've maybe bad, made bad decisions uh, and, and they're just not like us. People sometimes just people that have different views to us, people that have different opinions 
on things to us and we will name them in our minds at least as outsiders and kind of build this wall between us and them. We're on the inside, they're on the outside. Let's just be honest, this is happening a, a lot at the moment with COVID related issues, isn't it? You know, we kind of, we're very good at seeing people that don't agree with us on COVID issues as those are the, those are the outsiders. You know, those people are other. And we do this kind of othering thing where we can dismiss people and we can write them off and we can feel like they've just got crazy views and we can be very derogatory towards people and we create these dividing lines separating ourselves from other people. We can do it on the basis of faith, but we can also do it on the basis of opinions, on the basis of culture, all sorts of different dividing lines. We will construct between ourselves and other people and whoever we decide to brand as outsiders will tend to judge them have incredible bias towards them, and write them off. And Jesus in this passage is just saying, not so fast. Just hold on. Don't think that you've got people so figured out that you get to be the judge and jury of who the insiders are and who the outsiders are. And don't think that you've got God so figured out that you can determine whose life God's really at work in and where God's moving and who God decides to touch and, and change and, and transform, and who God might be drawing to himself. Basically, that's a lot of what our behavior amounts to sometimes. We think we've got God figured out, and we think we know who the ones are that are unreachable, unlovable, or unworthy of being extended the grace of God. Jesus is saying, you need to put aside your categories of insiders and outsiders. God has come near the kingdom of God is here, and it has radically disrupted our categories, our human-made categories of who is in and who is out. And it breaks down these dividing lines that we so quickly want to put up between one another. I remember many years ago, I, in, in a previous job that I had, I used to work with a guy. Uh, he was my boss, and he was a really difficult guy to work with. Just a really harsh kind of manager, really severe guy. And it wasn't it wasn't fun working for this guy. It wasn't enjoyable. No one really enjoyed working with him. And I, I certainly never got a sense that he had any openness at all to spiritual things. I would never have thought that he had he had a spiritual side to him at all. He never never suggested any interest in faith. So I never had any faith conversations with him, never even tried to go there, never, never felt that there was an opening. So I then moved on from that job. And then years and years later, he wrote a piece in the New Zealand Listener. He was kind of an influential sort of guy in some circles, and, and he wrote this column in the Listener. And I remember reading that, and, and in this column, he just talked about his spiritual journey. He just talked about all these kind of longings that he had for spiritual things and all these different practices, which I, I thought were a bit out there, but you know, all sorts of different spiritual things that he was into and places he'd been. And, and it was really clear that he was seeking something. Like he was really spiritually hungry. And I just thought, man, you know, for, for two and a half years, I worked alongside him. I never would have guessed that that's where he was. I never would have thought that he was open spiritually like that. But God just used that experience to remind me, never try to judge what God may or may not be doing in the life of another person. Never try to preempt where you think God might be working, because as soon as we do that, we put God in this little container, and we try and stop God from being God. God will do surprising things. He'll, he'll be at work 
in the lives of people sometimes you least expect. And you might only find out about it later on, but let's not waste the opportunities that we have right now to show the love of Jesus to those who we might have previously branded as being outsiders. Let's, let's throw those labels out and move towards all people with the love and the unconditional mercy and compassion and understanding and grace that Jesus had. We've got an opportunity to do that uh, really soon through our Christmas gift project. And I talked about that earlier on, but here's another opportunity for you to reach out to people around you uh, to show them something of Jesus' love. And I would encourage you not just to think about people who are kind of the ones that are already close to you, already familiar, already in your circle. Maybe think about someone who's, who's far from you, who maybe is very different to you, maybe in the way that they think, or maybe in their spiritual beliefs, maybe of a different culture, whatever it is, just someone who is, is unlike you, who you might be tempted to categorize as an outsider. Maybe we don't do that consciously, but we do it subconsciously, I think. See if you can move towards that person with, with a step of love and a step of kindness. Maybe nominate that person to receive the voucher and incarnate the love of God to them in that way. We've got to remember, as we do these things, that we were all outsiders once, weren't we? I mean, this, I think this helps us to have this kind of heart attitude, to recognize we were the outcasts. We, we were all like this Canaanite woman and her daughter. We were the ones who were far from God, far from grace. We were far from the image of God that he had called us to be. We were lost and we were broken and we were deserving of God's judgment. But what did God do towards us? Did he just treat us as outsiders and write us off? No, he moved towards us with incredible love. He left the 99 to come after the one. He came to find us and he carried us back into his family. Even though we, we never deserved anything of the kind, God showed this unreserved grace towards us. He brought us in as outsiders. And now he says, I just want you to do the same towards those people around you. I want you to show something to other people of the way that I've treated you. Because if God refused to put up barriers between him and us and allow that great dividing line of sin to be a barrier, then how dare we construct these barriers between us and other people? How dare we set up our categories of insiders and outsiders and push other people away and write them off and have prejudice in our hearts? That is not the gospel and that is not the kingdom that Jesus came to bring. So I encourage you to check your heart on this. Maybe the step you need to take this morning is just an examination of your heart to see if you're carrying any prejudice towards someone else or, or a group of people or a category of people to see if there are ways that your attitude towards them is less than the love that Christ came to bring. And maybe there's a posture shift in your heart that needs to happen. Maybe there's a practical step for you to take today or in the coming week to serve, to love, to show kindness, even just to have a conversation with someone that you might previously have thought was an outsider, but now you see them in a different way because of Jesus and you realize they're welcomed in just the same way as you and the invitation to them is the same as it is to you to come to the Father and be known as his children. That's the common ground. Well, as we finish today, I just want to read you some lyrics of a song a really powerful song that Anna and I have enjoyed. And I think it, it draws together so beautifully the threads of this passage and sums up the heart 
of what Jesus is showing us in this story. It's a song called Please Come by Nicole Norderman. Let me read you some of these words. Oh, the days when I drew lines around my faith to keep you out, to keep me in, to keep it safe. Oh, the sense of my own self-entitlement to say who's wrong or won't belong or cannot stay. Because somebody somewhere decided we'd be better off divided. And somehow, despite the damage done, he says, come. There is room enough for all of us. Please come. And the arms are open wide enough. Please come. And our parts are never greater than the sum. This is the heart of the one who stands before an open door and bids us come. Oh, the times when I have failed to recognize how many chairs are gathered there around the feast. To break the bread and break these boundaries that have kept us from our only common ground, the invitation to sit down, if we will come. Let's pray together. Jesus, we are challenged by what we see of you in this passage this morning. As we see you, Jesus, going towards people who were far from you, far from the kingdom, far from the Father, crossing all sorts of boundaries and lines in order to show your love to those who are outcasts and outsiders. God, would you convict our hearts this morning if in some way we are harboring some kind of negativity or a, or a spirit of judgment towards other people? especially towards those who may be our brothers and sisters in Christ. Would you convict us of that, God? And we just right now want to repent of that and ask God that you'd forgive us for that. We ask, Jesus, that you would give us your eyes to see those around us, not as outsiders and insiders, not as the, the in-group and the out-group, but as all those who are dearly loved by you, as all those who bear your image, as those whom... You've died for, Jesus, and you welcome us all to yourself. Help us to reflect your unconditional, unreserved love for all people in the way that we speak, in the way that we act, in the way that we interact, in the way that we relate and respond to each other. Help us to reflect that our common ground, Jesus, is in you and in nothing else. Help us to be open-handed and open-hearted towards all people, just as you have been toward us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.